I'm sure that as you have listened and as I have spoken, that you must have come to the realization that what I have been saying is not me. It's only what God is, speaks through me. I take no credit for this. The only thing I can say that for years I did my homework. I studied for hours and hours, and I believe the Holy Spirit has been my teacher. And so what I'm teaching you is only what I've been taught, what I believe by the Holy Spirit. And I believe that it is a thrill of my heart. I'm sure that as you go home and put it into practice, it will also thrill your heart too. Uh, there is a great concern by every Christian as we face these closing moments that we, uh, when, where do we stand in the stream of time? I mean, how far away, many questions I get, how far away is the coming of the Lord? Well, no one knows the day or the hour. I, I can only say that we can know the time, and we're living in the time. The evidence is overwhelming that we have come to the end of all things. And how many days we have left, how many years, I don't know. only thing I do is that I wake up in the morning with an urgency that tells me that we're very near. And what we do, we must do very quickly, because what we have failed to do under times of ease and prosperity, we're going to do under very times of distress and persecution. So... I, I think that as I began to search through the scriptures to find an answer to the question, where are we, I concentrated by, I believe, the Lord's direction on the book of Daniel on the 11th chapter. Now, I know that the book of Daniel, the 11th chapter, has been a controversial chapter in Adventism because you remember Uriah Smith and James White had quite a controversy over this chapter. Uh, if you read, and I believe it's Faith of Our Fathers by Froome, I think it's about 1121, Volume 4, I think you have all the uh, material that was written by James White on this subject. Uriah Smith had a different idea. Of course, he called the King of the North, and he felt that it was, uh, was Turkey. And uh, James White's position was it was the, the, the papacy. And as I went through it very carefully, reading back and forth the material, I believe that the Holy Spirit directed me, and I believe that we must see that the real king of the north is Jesus Christ. If you read in Psalms 48, verses 1 and 2, you'll find there that it says that God's dwelling place is in the sides of the north. But if you will also turn to Isaiah 14, you'll find that the devil's great ambition is to be God in the sides of the north. Now, the reason the devil has an ambition to be God in the sides of the north because he knows that's where God's dwelling place is. And so I say the real king of the north is Jesus Christ. The counterfeit king of the north is the devil and all the agencies of which work under his command. And so I then can believe that the king of the north, as we know it, is the devil himself or the agencies of which the devil uses, which I believe we see apostate Protestantism and Catholicism. So, uh, if we begin with that premise, I think that we can then uh, begin to see that we are facing a very serious time. I read in the book of uh, the ninth volume of the Testimonies, on page 14, a very interesting statement that written by Ellen White. 
that helps us to throw a little bit of light on the subject. On page 14 of volume 9, she wrote this inspired statement. The world is stirred with the spirit of war. The prophecy of the 11th chapter of Daniel <clears throat> has nearly reached its complete fulfillment. Soon the scenes of trouble spoken of in the prophecies will take place. <coughs> Behold, the Lord cometh and maketh the earth empty and maketh it at waste and turneth it upside down and scattereth abroad the inhabitants thereof. Because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant, therefore hath the curse devoured the earth, and they that dwell therein are desolate. The mirth of tabard seeth the noise of them that rejoice, endeth the joy of the harp seeth. Now, interesting, she says, the world is stirred with the spirit of war. The prophecy of the 11th chapter of Daniel has nearly reached its complete fulfillment. Soon the scene... <coughs> Soon the scenes of trouble spoken of in the prophecies will take place. Now, interestingly enough, she uh, then begins to repeat uh, Isaiah, <coughs> the 24th chapter, in the verses 1 to 8. And uh, we know that these verses deal with the very last minutes of the world's history. As we have read them here to you, the world is stirred with the spirit of war. Then she says, Behold the world, the Lord maketh the earth empty, he maketh it waste, he turneth it upside down, scattered about the inhabitants, because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. Now we know that Isaiah 24 deals with the last minutes of our world. And so Ellen White, in conjunction with uh, Daniel 11 now, <coughs> makes it clear that this statement, this chapter, deals with the end of time. Now, I have another statement. Unfortunately, I don't have it with me. <clears throat> but the other statement that she makes concerning Daniel 11 takes the 32nd verse and uses it in the end time. Therefore, I believe that the verses before 32nd verse must deal with uh, historical events. But I believe that we see the last part of the book of Daniel 11, I believe, deals with the end of time and the coming of the Lord. And so tonight, if I can, let me dwell. <clears throat> dwell. Could I have a drink of water? Drink of water under the rostrum in front of you. There we go. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Let's read the 40th verse. At the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots, with horsemen, and with many ships. He shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. Now, when did the time of the end begin? 1798. The time of the end began. So, we already have a clue of where we want to play, begin to place this, uh, this, this, uh, this, these cha this chapter, and it is the time of the end. Now, at the time of the end, according to the verse forty, we have a confrontation between two powers, 
And in this confrontation we read, At the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and many ships. Now, let's go back to 1798 then and find out which two uh, nations or two uh, forces had a confrontation at the time of the end. And what do we find? We find at the time of the end, 1798, we find that the uh, deadly wound is given by the French Revolution. Is that right? As you remember that Berthier, the Napoleon's general, was sent down and he took the Pope captive, the deadly wound was given there in 1798. So we see if the king of the north is the, the papacy or the devil himself who and the agencies of which he controls, then the only two that began to meet in this 40th verse would be then the, the papacy and the French Revolution. Now, in uh, Great Controversy 269, we read this interesting statement. Starting on 268. When they shall have finished our finishing their testimony. Now, this chapter deals with the French Revolution because it deals with chapter 11 of Revelation, which deals with the French Revolution. When they shall have finished their, or finishing their testimony, the period when the two witnesses were the prophecy, clothed in sackcloth, ended in 1798. As they were approaching the termination of their work in obscurity, war was to be made upon them by the power represented by the beast ascending out of the bottomless pit. In many of the nations of Europe, the powers that ruled in the church and state had for centuries been controlled by Satan through the medium of the papacy. But here is brought to view a new manifestation of satanic power. It had been Rome's policy under the profession of reverence for the Bible to keep it locked up in the unknown tongue and hidden away from the people under her rule. The witnesses prophesied in sackcloth, in, clothed in sackcloth. But another power, the beast from the bottomless pit, was to rise and make an open, vowed war upon the word of God. The great city in whose streets the witnesses are slain and where their dead bodies lie is spiritually Egypt. For all nations presented in the Bible history, Egypt most boldly denied the existence of the living God and resisted his commands. No monarch ever ventured upon a more open, high-handed rebellion against the authority of heaven than did the king of Egypt. When the message was brought to him by Moses in the name of the Lord, Pharaoh proudly answered, who is Jehovah, that I should hearken to, unto his voice and let Israel go? I know not Jehovah, and moreover I will not let Israel go. This is atheism, and, all, and the nation represented by Egypt would give voice to a similar denial of the claims of the living God, and would manifest a like spirit of unbelief and defiance. The great city is also compared spiritually to Sodom. The corruption uh, of Sodom in breaking the law of God was especially manifested in licentiousness. And this sin was also to be preeminent in the characteristic of the nation 
that should fulfill the specifications of this scripture. According to the words of the prophet, then a little before the year 1798, some power of satanic origin and character would arise to make war upon the Bible, and in the land where the testimony of God's two witnesses should thus be silenced, there should be the manifest of the atheism of Pharaoh and the licentiousness of Sodom. This prophecy has received a most exact and striking fulfillment in the history of France. And then we pick up the book Education, and we read in 228 of the book Education these statements. Over on 227 first. Spiritualism asserts that men are unfallen demagogues, and each mind will judge itself, and the true knowledge places men above all law, and all sins committed are innocent. For whatever is right, and God it doth not condemn, the basis of human beings is represented as in heaven, and highly exalted there, thus it declares, to all men it matters not what you do, live as you please, heaven is your home, multitudes are thus led to believe, that desires the highest law and licenses liberty, and that man is accountable only to himself. With such teaching, given at the very outset of life, when impulse is strongest, and the demand for self-restraint and purity is most urgent, where are the safeguards of virtue? What is to prevent the world from becoming a second Sodom? At the same time, anarchy is seeking to sweep away all law, not only divine but human. The centralizing of wealth and power, the vast combinations for the enrichment of the few at the expense of the many, the combinations of the poorer classes for the defense of their interests and claims, the spirit of unrest, of riot and bloodshed, and worldwide dissemination of the same teachings that led the, to the French Revolution, all are extending to involve the whole world in a struggle similar to that that convulsed France. Such are the influences to be met by the youth of today to stand amid the upheavals that they are now to lay at the, at the foundations of their character. So what you heard here is that the, the same thing that happened in the French Revolution will happen again. It says here the vast combination the centralizing of wealth, a vast combination for the enriching of the few are at the expense of many, and the combinations of the poorer classes for the defense of their interests and claims, the spirit of unrest and riot and bloodshed, worldwide dissemination of the same teachings led to the French Revolution. Now, one thing I'd like to make bring out here right now is that the vast combinations that are taking place in our world. Have you seen them? The In America today, I mean... They, a few men are struggling to get hold of everything. And we see tremendous grasping of power. And they're big names, multi-billionaires. And they're buying up this corporation, and they're stealing that corporation, and they're trying to bigger, build a bigger empire. And I see this as a great sign of the end of time and the coming of the Lord and the close of probation. Now, the reason I read those statements to you because I think that we must see the greatest foe that we have to fight in this world is the devil himself. But he has captured the majority of the world, and the majority of that world are on the influence of either uh, paganism 
or they're either under the influence of, of Catholicism or apostate Protestantism. Those three. <laughs> and I see that as we look and we focus in upon the date of 1798, because the 40th verse says the time of the end, and then it says that the king of the south is going to push at the king of the north. And then it says that there's going to be a retaliation of the king of the north because the king of the north then is able to retaliate. And it brings its army or its chariots and its uh, ships and everything against the, the king of the south. Now, if we can settle on the fact that the king of the north is the papacy, uh, then we must realize that the king, that the papacy has never had an army. It's never had a navy. But it is, it has used the armies and the navies of the world very systematically. And in their crusades, uh, it wasn't, it, it wasn't the, the guards in the Vatican that were doing the work. It was the armies of Charles V and, and, and Francis IV and other uh, monarchs of Europe that carried the crusades uh, for the Catholic Church. So, when we look at the last part of the 40th verse, we see that there comes a day of retaliation by the papacy for what the King of the South has done. Now, if we settle on the fact that there was atheism that gave the deadly wound, and to great degree today it is atheism that prevents the deadly wound from being healed. Now, I know that that as people have thought that the deadly wound was healed in 1929, but the deadly wound is not healed until the woman of Revelation 17 is back on the beast. In the 1260-year period, the woman rode the beast because the beast only symbolizes the powers, the, the, the governments that carry her, that do her bidding. And uh, so... We find that when the deadly wound was given, then the woman was off the beast because the nations of the world would not carry out her, her, her dogmas and her, and her direction. But if you look at the 17th chapter, you'll find the woman sitting there on the beast again. And immediately as you begin through the 17th chapter, you go to the 6th verse and immediately there's martyrs. Now those martyrs are not the martyrs of the 1260 years. They are the martyrs of the little time of trouble before probation General probation closes. And as you look at the 12th verse, you'll find that it says, These ten kings, which have no kingdom as yet, but what? Rule the beast for one hour. So uh, many people today have said that the European common market is, is referred to you here, but I don't believe that because I think that they, as a general... It's a general uh, um, application to the, the, to the kingdoms of the world, to the governments of the world that finally give their, give their power to the beast to do her persecution once again. I don't think we can say that it's the, it's the European common market because I think if you look at the many of the European countries today, they do not have too much military power. They're very limited in their ability to do, to, to do a war. And it is the it is United States and the United Kingdom that, that are, are, are standing behind these, these little nations in Europe today under the flag of the United Nations and, and NATO that give her the assurance 
that she will not be overrun again by the armies of Russia or whoever. But I think that we want to see that there is, does come a time in which the nations of the world uh, do again give their authority uh, to the, and their power to the, to the Roman Catholic Church to again become a persecuting power. I think that we find that we read that all through the book of the Revelation. Much of it is in the spirit of prophecy. And we've got to realize that that one day is going to happen. And it will be very soon, I believe. I think the only thing that is holding it back, that God is waiting for his people so that he can put his seal upon them. And when, that's, when he's got those people, then I think all the world will come apart, economically, militarily, and every other way. And I think that the last movements then will be very rapid ones. And so I see here in the 40th verse, then if I am correct, at the time of the end, the king of the south, atheism, uh, gives the deadly wound, and the king of the north then comes to a time where it's able to retaliate against the atheistic government that gave it. Now, we know that that atheistic government now has moved in its geography, and it's now... It has become Russia and many of the other countries that have embraced atheism. And so, um, as we begin to look at this today, then atheism gave the deadly wound. Atheism then will go down, if my positions are correct. And I think that as we uh, go to the 17th chapter, I believe that those ten kings, which have no kingdom as yet, but rule the beast for one hour, I believe that those ten, ten kings are going to give the papacy its authority and its military power to put down the atheistic governments of the world. Because it says what? The whole world wanders after the beast. Whole world. Every nation is going to be involved. Let me read to you here a statement by Ellen White. It says the so-called Christian world is to be the theater of great and decisive actions. Men in authority will enact laws controlling the conscience after the example of the papacy. Babylon will make all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Every nation will be involved. Of this time the Reverend later declares, These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. They shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Now she's quoting Revelation 17, verse 13 and 14. These have one mind, she said, there will be a universal bond of union, one great harmony, a confederacy in Satan's forces, and so... There is not going to be a division. It's not going to be the east against the west. It, when we come to the battle of Armageddon, friends, it's the world against the remnant. You see that? Um, there are three phases of the battle of Armageddon. The first battle was fought in heaven when Christ and the armies of heaven threw Satan and his army out. The second battle of Armageddon begins. It takes place just before the coming of the Lord because... At, this, at that point, the devil has brought the world down to destroy the saints of God, the remnant of God. And the, 
the, the devil has said that no one can keep God's law. And here God has produced 144,000 people that have kept it perfectly. And the devil is coming down to destroy the evidence that God had. And at this time, Christ in the 19th chapter of Revelation is mounted on a white horse and he leads the armies of heaven with him to protect the saints. And that is the closing battle of Armageddon in the second phase. And then the third phase of the battle of Armageddon takes place at the end of the millennium as the devil leads the world against the city of God. And so I believe this, this last statement that I read to you is Manuscript 24, 1891. And uh, I believe without a question, as Ellen White uses the 17th chapter, I think that we, we see that this chapter is the healing of the deadly wound chapter. And I believe that when we see the woman again riding the beast, when she has full authority to persecute, then the deadly wound is healed. Now, there is one thing that the devil, that the, the church has left out of their thinking. They haven't spent too, too much time with it. And that is the Satan's personation of Jesus Christ. And I believe it's time to bring it in right here because I think that it's a very important thing. And I think we haven't given it due uh, recognition. As you read in the Great Controversy 624, we read about this, this terrible... This is this impersonation. As the crowning act in the great drama of deception, Satan himself will personate Christ. The church has long professed to look uh, professed to look to the Savior's advent as the consummation of her hopes. Now the great deceiver will make it appear that Christ has come. In different parts of the earth, Satan will manifest himself among men as a majestic being of dazzling brightness resembling the description of the Son of God given by John in the Revelation. The glory that surrounds him is unsurpassed by anything uh, that a mortal eye have yet beheld. The shout of triumph rings out upon the air. Christ has come! Christ has come! The people prostrate themselves in adoration before him while he lifts his hands and pronounces a blessing upon them as Christ blessed his disciples when he was upon the earth. His voice is soft and subdued, yet full of melody. In gentle, compassionate tones, he presents some of the same gracious, gracious heavenly truths which the Savior uttered. He heals the disease of the people, and then, in his assumed character of Christ, he claims to change the Sabbath to Sunday and commands all to hallow that day which he is blessed. He declares that those who persist in keeping holy the seventh day are blaspheming his name by refusing to listen to his angels sent to them with light and truth. This is the strong and almost overmastering delusion. So what we see is the crowning act of Satan is about to appear on the scene of action. And he is going to deceive the world. The whole world is going to wonder after him when he is here saying is Jesus Christ because they have no alternative. You see... What is going to happen, I believe, is the world is going through a horrible crisis economically and every other way. I believe we have on the horizon today a, a war in which will be called Armageddon by the Protestants and the Catholics. 
You see, the devil is too smart to do his personation if he doesn't have his chronology correct. He's got to have a war that he can call Armageddon. Uh, he's, he's going to have some plagues, which will be the judgments of God falling on the land, on the world. And he'll have all of these things that he think. If he didn't, uh, many Bible students would say, well, there's something wrong here because uh, we've got to have Armageddon before uh, Christ comes. So I believe that he chooses to do his personation at the conclusion of a war that can be called Armageddon. And I believe that war is revealed there in the 40th verse of Daniel 11, in which I see the king of the north retaliating now against the king of the south. Now you remember in Revelation the 13th chapter, from the time that the, the lamb-like beast is born, which represents the United States, when, from the time that that happens until that, that power, lamb-like power, becomes and speaks like a dragon, is a period of more than 200 years. But it only covers a few words. I believe that we're going to see the same thing happen here in the 40th verse. From the time that the deadly wound was given in the beginning of the 40th verse to the time that the papacy is able to heal the deadly wound and retaliate against that, uh, the, the atheism that gave it, I believe is covers a period of over 200 years, and yet, it only covers a few words. You'll find this this many times in prophecy, where only where a very few words cover large spans of time. And so, I believe what is happening now is that we're facing up to that time. And I believe what's happening in the Middle East is the beginning of could be the beginning of that war in which will lead the two forces, uh, which will be. Uh, atheism against the Christian world and which I see that atheism will go down because when the devil does his personation the whole world wonders after him we read there in manuscript 24 1896 in which 1886 where she says there that every nation is involved that there will be one great confederacy one great union of Satan's forces and so when he makes his appearance, the whole world is going to have to bow down to him. And we know that this is contrary to the belief of atheism. And so atheism goes. And as we read in Testimonies to Ministers, uh, Testimonies to Ministers, page 411. Here it is. Testimonies to Ministers 411. We read this inspired statement. The conflict is to wax fiercer and fiercer. Satan will take the field and personate Christ. He will misrepresent and misapply and pervert everything he possibly can to deceive, if possible, the very elect. Even in our day, there have been and will continue to be entire families who have once rejoiced in the truth, but who will lose faith because of culminates and falsehoods. Now, many people have placed the Satan's personation after the close of probation. But I think that we'll prove here tonight that you see that the, the deception, this crowning act, will come before probation closes so that he can yet deceive people and, if possible, the very elect. And again, on page 62 of the same volume, we read this statement. 
Fallen angels upon the earth form confederations with evil men. In this age, Antichrist will appear as the true Christ, and then the law of God will be fully made void in the nations of our world. Rebellion against God's holy law will be fully right, but the true leader of all of this rebellion is Satan clothed as an angel of light. Men will be deceived and will exalt him, in, him to the place of God and deify him. Now do you notice it says, In this age Antichrist will appear as the true Christ, and then the law of God will be made fully void in the nations of the world. So when the devil does his, his personation, uh, that is the time of the Sunday laws, because the law of God we know is made void when the Sunday laws go into effect. So I see this as a universal Sunday law that goes around the world, that he does his personation, and I believe he, he chooses the, the climax of a, a very quick war in which possibly could be nuclear. As we, as we look at uh, the book of Angelism, the book of Angelism, page, page 20, um, 29, we read this statement. It says, Last Friday morning, just before I woke, a very impressive scene passed, was presented before me. I seemed to awake from sleep, but was not in my home. From the windows I could behold a terrible conflagration. Great balls of fire were falling upon houses, and from these balls of fire arrows were flying in every direction. It was impossible to check the fires that were kindled, and many places were being destroyed. The terror of the people was indescribable, and after a time I woke and found myself at home. Uh, oh, that God's people had a sense of the impending destruction of thousands of cities, now almost given over to idolatry. Thousands of cities are destroyed. Balls of fire falling, arrows shooting out of them. My friends, that sounds like nuclear war. That we could have a very limited type of a nuclear war uh, that could bring the world into horrible de devastation. And when Daniel said there will be a time of trouble like there never was since the nation, our minds cannot measure that statement. When Ellen Wright wrote here and said thousands of cities destroyed, that means millions of people die. And let me tell you, that may not be too far away. When Ellen White said in volume 8 that it would come as an overwhelming surprise. In volume 8, page 37... Volume 9. I try to put these books back in place because I, I lose every once in a while. I, I can't find one. Oh, here it is. Volume 8, page uh, 37. It says, My heart is filled with anguish when I think of the tame messages borne by some of our ministers when they have a message of life and death to bear. The ministers are asleep. The lay members are asleep. The world is perishing in sin. May God help his people to rouse and walk and work as men and women in the borders of eternal world. Soon, an awful surprise is coming upon the inhabitants of the world. Suddenly, with power and great glory, Christ will come. Then there will be no time to prepare to meet him. Now is the time for us to give the warning message. And over on 28 of the same volume 8, 
we read this inspired statement. The transgression has almost reached its limit. Confusion fills the world, and great, great terror is soon to come upon human beings. The end is very near. We who know the truth should be preparing for what is soon to break upon the world as an overwhelming surprise. And then 315 of the same volume. It says, a storm is coming, relentless in its fury. Are you prepared to meet it? We need not say the perils of the last day are soon to come upon us. Already they have come. We need now uh, the sword of the Lord to cut to the very soul and marrow of the fleshy lusts and appetites and passions. Men have been given up to loose thought and need to change, girding up the loins of the mind. The thoughts that must be centered upon God. Now is the time to put forth earnest effort to overcome the natural tendency of the carnal heart. Our efforts, our self-denial, our perseverance must be proportioned to the infinite value of the object to which we are to pursue. Only by overcoming as Christ overcame shall we win the crown of life. So it's going to happen as an overwhelming surprise. And what I stated earlier, that you'll wake up one morning and find that the world has been decimated by a horrible event that will bring destruction to our world. And uh, when that takes place, my friends, you can be sure that Sunday laws will soon follow quickly because the world immediately will be into one thing, and that is to preserve the world. And they see that the re results of their godlessness is brought destruction, and so they're going to turn to religion and to God and force people uh, to become religious so that they can preserve the world. And I believe that Sunday laws will come into effect. I believe the Sunday laws, you can read in great controversy about them. We also have, uh, in my books, I have mentioned them. Uh, you get the book, um, uh, Will the Real Seventh-day Adventists Please Stand Up? I have a section in there on it. You'll find I also have written a book, Counterfeits, which I wrote for the world that tells the whole Adventist message. We have some of it in there. But the spirit of prophecy is full of these last day events. The tragedy is that the Seventh-day Adventist people and the Seventh-day Adventist pastors and the Seventh-day Adventist leaders have not been reading and studying and so they don't know where we're at. And there are sleep and carnal security. They're going on like they've got a whole lifetime ahead of them when they only may have days, months, or weeks. And this is what forces an old man to travel around the world preach. To preach because now it's get ready get ready get ready get ready press together press together press together for the end is not near the end is here this is it we're facing it now how many days of ease and prosperity is left no one knows but only I can tell you that it must be short because the evidence in the world is setting the stage for destruction the evidence in the church is that uh, everything that Ellen White has told us is transpiring before us. We have far more to fear from within than from without. Our worst enemies are going to be Seventh-day Adventists. And we are seeing the beginning of it now. And so I see as the result of what is going to take place, as the Sunday laws come into effect, 
immediately after this great catastrophic event, I think that as the, as the world is picking itself again out of ruins, I think then this great being will make his appearance. And I believe that he will choose the most uh, interesting spot in the world to do it because he is going to take advantage of everything in which the religious world is interested in and the world is looking to Jerusalem for the second coming of Christ. Isn't that right? You see, futurism began in the Council of Trent and the, the, the Pope was in a very difficulty with the Reformationists because they had, were preaching that he, the Pope was the Antichrist. Luther preached it, Huss preached it, Jerome preached it. I mean, all the great reformers of that age uh, were preaching the, that the Pope was the Antichrist. And to get the, the reformists off his back, he called the Council of Trent, and for 18 years they met off and on trying to find some piece of theology that would create, they could create to get the, the, the world thinking in a different direction. And finally, Christopher Rivera came up with a, uh, some theology called Futurism. Now, futurism teaches this, and we will. There's different versions of it, but basically, I'll give you a rundown of what futurism is. What they did, what Ribera did, he he wrenched away the 70th week out of the six from the rest of the 69, and he placed the 70th week down at the end of time, and he said, at the beginning of the week, we're going to have a rapture. In the middle of the week, we're going to have the the, uh, the Antichrist is going to appear. At the end of the week, Christ returns with those he's raptured, and he comes to Jerusalem and reigns on David's throne for a thousand years of peace. Have you heard that before? I don't know uh, what, you, what they preach here on television, or do you, uh, do you have television preachers here? Well, in America, you got them every Sunday all day long, and all they're preaching is what I'm telling you. They're preaching futurism, and the whole world... Uh, the Christian world in America today is focusing its attention upon Jerusalem. Now, the devil created futurism, and he's not going to stand by and not take advantage of what the world has accepted, because we find that back in the beginning of the 19th century, Darby, John Darby and Edward Irving began to preach this in their churches here in England. And interestingly enough, when they began to preach this futurism, Interestingly enough, the tongues began to break out in the churches. They began to speak in tongues. And uh, this died away, and nothing more was hardly said of it. The Rosicrucianists and others uh, kind of kept the thing a little bit of alive, the futuristic ideas alive. But when we come to the 60s, we have a very interesting phenomenon began to take place. The Pentecostal churches that uh, grew out of, a, uh, of some of the, the hills of... Um, of, uh, of uh, um, America in the, the, the poverty sections of America it began to spread out and they, uh, they were poor churches they were people uh, many of them were people who were not learned people at all they were very ignorant people and uh, they came with all kinds of distortions of Christianity some of them handled snakes you remember and they got into all kinds of, of different things and interestingly enough they spoke in tongues now, uh, back in the 30s, to be a Pentecostal was almost as bad as being an Adventist. I mean, because Pentecostalism was, was radicalism and the world didn't want anything to do with it. They came from a poverty type of, of people and, and nobody wanted anything to do with Pentecostalism. 
But interestingly enough, the beginning of the 60s, the Pentecostal church began to break out of its, uh, its status as a poverty church, and it began to build large churches, and it, um, instantly the, the tongues movement began to spread out, and it spread all over America. And we find that also with this, the, uh, the tongue-speaking people came the futuristic ideas. Uh, that um, Jesus would come to Jerusalem and reign on David's throne for a thousand years and there'd be a thousand years of peace. It also introduced the rapture and uh, it also introduced the rest of futurism which said that the Antichrist comes down at the end of the world. Now books have been written by the millions on this and it's spread around the world until the majority of Christendom today accepts the futuristic idea. And yet... As you go to scripture, there's absolutely no substantiating it at all. It's a Catholic doctrine uh, adopted by Protestantism. As they adopted the, the, uh, the, the false worship day, as they adopted a lot of the customs and, all the, and, the, and the worship day and the, uh, the other days like Christmas and, and Easter and all these other things, the Protestant churches, they adopted this also. And today, the whole, almost the entire Protestant world uh, even the Catholic world today are speaking in tongues and they are also believing in futurism which puts uh, the coming of the Lord uh, and a sacred rapture and the Antichrist comes and then Jesus returns with those that are raptured and reigns on David's throne for a thousand years of peace. So I believe that what the devil is going to do, he's going to do his, his personation in Jerusalem. I mean, he would be almost stupid not to because he's got the attention of the world in that place. And so what I see as the possibility is a war, quick one, and at the conclusion of that war we see that Satan will do his personation and the whole world will wonder after him. whole world. Because they have no, there's no alternatives. It's either him or, or there's no hope anyway. I think, I think it was General Spock of Belgium who is, was, became quite a figure in the uh, in the uh, European common market at one time. He was doing an interview, I believe, with, uh, with, uh, uh, with uh, U.S. and News and World Report, and uh, in this uh, interview he said what the world needs is a leader, uh, an international leader. He said whether he be God or devil will follow him. And that will be the, that will be the attitude of the world in that crisis hour, I don't, they're, not going to say, they're not going to question who he is. They said, well, we need a leader. And he says he's Christ, we believe him. And I believe now in this moment, the whole world is welded together in one great relationship. Uh, every nation's involved. Every, uh, you know, there's one great union of Satan's forces, one great confederacy. And now we see that we've got paganism to deal with. Because paganism is half the world. And Ellen White says that every nation is going to be involved. All right? I believe that what the devil will do when he does his personation in Jerusalem, possibly he will use the UFO. Now, interestingly enough, there's been tens of thousands of sightings of this. Almost every tabloid uh, gossip column, I mean, has an article concerning them. And a... Ever since World War II, the devil has been propagating this, I believe, for a, for a reason. He's prepared the minds of the world to accept that there is something out there in space 
another uh, a great source of power. And I believe that when he, he, if man can create a vehicle that will go 20,000 miles an hour to the moon, I believe that the devil probably can create one that will go 100,000 miles an hour. And these, uh, these UFOs that people have seen, some people have say they've ridden in them, I don't know. But I, I believe that they are, they, are, they are vehicles in which the devil could create. And I believe that he will cannot, uh, God will not allow him to personate the coming of Christ. He can't come in the clouds of heaven. He can't bring all the angels that way. But what if he brought a fleet of these UFOs into Jerusalem and out steps this beautiful being uh, who says he's Jesus Christ. He has a melodious voice. He has all the characteristics of uh, that uh, revelation. And uh, the whole world is looking because the satellite now booms him around the world. And as he steps out of this, this vehicle, he says, I told you I'd come in the clouds of heaven, and here I am. He said, I told you every eye would see me, and the satellites now are booming me around the earth. Every eye is looking. And the whole world wanders after the beast. And friends, when this happens, you can be sure that it isn't going to be long that the devil will arrange the armies of the world, the nations of the world, under his flag, and immediately there is only one group of people standing in his way. Why? Because to the, to the uh, Muslims, to the, he's going to be uh, Muhammad. You see? Uh, to the Buddhist, he's going to say, before I was Christ, I was Buddha. He's going to say to the Mohammedans, after I was Christ, I was Muhammad. So he's got the, he's got the whole pagan world practically in his hands right there. To the Jew, he's going to be the Messiah. And to the Christian, he's going to be Christ. And the whole world will be at his feet. And it says they'll deify him. You see. And I believe without a question, friends, that that day is very, very near. Remember what I said. The devil has always wanted to be God, God in the size of the north. Isaiah, uh, remember Isaiah 14. He said he wanted to be God in the size of the north. This is his one great ambition for more than 6,000 years is to accomplish that feat of being God here in this world. And I believe that the world will wander after him and make him God. And the world will then turn its whole attention upon the little remnant group the only ones that won't bow down. And that little remnant group, my friends, in this time before probation closes, because uh, probation, when probation closes, life, uh, our lives will be spared from then on. But before probation closes, there's going to be a time of trouble like there never was since there was a nation. And thousands of us will lose our lives. Now, the reason that I come to you, friends, is to prepare you for that day. Because if you have not anchored yourself down in study and prayer in the rock Jesus Christ, you'll be swept overboard. Uh, she says there that as I read in 411 of Testimonies to Ministers, she said there that, let's read it. The conflict is to wax fiercer and fiercer. Satan will take the field and personate Christ. He will misrepresent, misapply, and pervert everything he possibly can to deceive, if possible, the very elect. Even in our day, there have been and will continue to be entire families 
who have once rejoiced in the truth, but who will lose faith because of calumnies and falsehoods. So this means that Seventh-day Adventists, many of them will be washed overboard at this time because they haven't anchored themselves into the rock, Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, friends, if you're standing on a street corner and this beautiful being goes by in a beautiful limousine and the President of the United States or the Queen of England is sitting beside him, and in the limousine behind him is, uh, is the apostles. And possibly sitting with him also might be the Mary of Jesus, the mother of Jesus. Because if you look at Great Controversy 557, she says, even the apostles will be personated by lying spirits. Now, if the apostles are going to be impersonated lying spirits, what he, what he could do with the Catholic world if Mary was personated by lying spirits, and he sat there in this limousine. Let's say you're going down the capital with the Queen of England. I mean, you can imagine what would happen. They'd just go out of their mind. Yes, sir. And so I see now there is another possibility that we might have to face, and that is that the Satan to the Adventist church may personate Ellen White. You ever think of that? I mean, what would that do to, to Adventists? I mean, well, they would say, look, folks, I mean, that's Ellen White. He's, she's brought back to life. And, and look what she's saying. She's saying that we, the Sabbath has been changed from, from uh, Sabbath to Sunday. And we better go do what Ellen White says. You see, and this is why Ellen White made it very clear. The last great thrust that the devil will make at, at the church will be spiritualism in the church, in the world, will be spiritualism because, I mean, these, these beings that are going to be personated by lying spirits, my friends, the apostles will be there. I believe possibly Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus will be there and possibly Ellen White will be there. And let me tell you, they'll try to, to they'll counteract everything the Bible has said and the spirit prophecy is told. And our only hope to go through that trying moment is to have studied the Bible and spirit of prophecy so carefully and closely that when we see him go, that we can say that's the devil. But you better start running because they'll tear you apart if you say that's the devil. You see? 